Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Well, good morning again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen on the 14th of December, 2022. If you missed the first hour, I encourage you to grab it at MyFaithRadio.com. You should certainly be subscribing to the Mornings with Carmen podcast wherever you get your podcast. Um, that's also the way that you're going to get the show notes for every hour of the show. Um, and so I'm going to return here to a topic that we started with in hour one today, and that is the topic of John the Baptist. Um, making the way for Jesus. And so then the backstory of John the Baptist, and we're talking about his parents, Zacharias and Elizabeth. Now, they're some of my favorite uh, characters at Christmas, and it disturbs me that they're not um, on the scene in most of our Christmas crushes. And so I want to highlight them um, here this morning. I think it is difficult for some of us to imagine the intense stigma that was attached to childlessness in, um, in the days that we're talking about. Now, there um, are a lot of folks who deal with this challenge today, the challenge of being childless. Um, and maybe they also experience this kind of stigma today. Um, but certainly in the days of Zacharias and Elizabeth, child, childlessness, um, there was a heavy weight to bear culturally. Jewish rabbis insisted that it was evidence of divine disfavor And so while Zacharias and Elizabeth may have been righteous before God, some of their friends, I mean, there was probably some whispering behind their back. Uh, Some of their friends probably suspected there must be some serious sin going on there, you know, some secret sin in much the same way that, you know, Job's friends proved themselves to not be real friends. um, There's probably some of that going on in the background of this story as well. Um, There was no way to erase the blot of childlessness. Um, And the phrase advanced in years means that these are people who are at least, you know, 60, well beyond the time of childbearing. And so it would have been, you know, a quote unquote hopeless situation. Zacharias um, could have actually left the marriage. He could have followed the way of the world in his way and divorced Elizabeth um, for her failure to produce children um, in the same way that Joseph would have been justified in the sight of the world if he had divorced the pregnant Virgin Mary. Um, In their culture, it would not have been considered wrong for Zacharias to divorce Elizabeth because she was barren. Thank God he didn't. Thank God he didn't. Instead, Luke tells us Zacharias prayed. That's Luke 1.13. He committed the situation to the only one who could actually do something about his grief and his sense of hopelessness and the legacy that he so desired. So after Zacharias had committed his problem to God, what did he do? Well, he kept on with his day job. He kept on with the job that God had given him to do. He served faithfully as a priest in the division of Abijah. He didn't stop praying. He didn't bail out because his situation looked hopeless. Um, God is the God of the impossible. 
God delights in doing impossible things um, and in surprising us in divine ways. Why? Well, so that not only can he get the glory, but his redemptive plan for human history can continue to unfold. So much easier to quit and run away from difficult circumstances. Um, But you and I both know that only compounds the problem. God wants us to take our difficulties to him in prayer um, and, and wait patiently for him to work, continually, continuing in our, you know, for our own part to do the next right thing that he puts in front of us to do today. So we know from Luke's gospel um, uh, about this incredibly memorable day in the life of, uh, of Zacharias. Um, it was the day that, uh, that uh, you know, in which God would fulfill the promises um, made so long ago. Um, and it was a day that Zacharias got to do um, what, which was really an honor um, for him as a priest in terms of his priestly service to go burn the incense in the holy place. So the priests had been divided into 24 groups by King David. Um, and Zacharias, we are told, is in the order of Abijah. So that's his group. And it was eighth in line. And so each of these groups or courses Um, would be called to minister in the temple on only two occasions during the entire year. Uh, And each of these occasions would last for a week. And so this is the order of Abijah's opportunity to serve for a week at the temple. There would have been nearly a thousand priests in the order of Abijah. Um, And so, you know, the chance of being the one person who was going to get to go into the holy place and kindle the incense upon the golden altar quite possibly a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And this is what, um, you know, that's what Zacharias was doing um, on the day that the angel appeared to him and told him that his wife Elizabeth was going to bear a son, even at her late stage of life. And all of that so that we could have John the Baptist to prepare the way for the one who would come as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus the Christ, whom we celebrate at Christmas. All right, more on this story as we unfold the hour together. But right now, we're going to bring on Heather Zeiger. She is our science friend, and she's going to explain to us all of the amazing things that are happening in the science world right right now, not least of which is nuclear fusion. What? There's been a breakthrough. We're going to share it with you next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, Heather Zeiger's here. She's going to unmask the mysteries of nuclear fusion. Good morning, Heather. Morning, Carmen. All right, I don't have any idea what it is, and but people seem really excited about it. So what is nuclear fusion energy, and what's the breakthrough that took place this week? Sure. So um, a lot of times we think of nuclear energy. We think of nuclear fission. That's where you break apart an atom, and it releases energy. Nuclear fusion is where you put two atoms together and it releases energy. So this breakthrough that happens, so Lawrence Liverpool National Laboratory, they have the National Ignition Facility and they've been working on nuclear fusion. The reason why people like nuclear fusion as opposed to fission is that it actually is even better for the environment and cleaner energy and has less waste. It could also produce a lot of energy that could be used to power homes and power grids. Here's the big problem, though. It takes a whole lot of energy to fuse two atoms together. So 
for the longest time, and they've been working on nuclear fusion since the 1950s, for the longest time, you never had a net energy gain. It always took more energy to push two atoms together. And the two atoms they usually push together are hydrogen atoms to push two atoms to fuse together. It took more energy to do that than the energy you got out of it. So it wasn't worth it. This is the first time they did an experiment where technically, and it's on a small scale, they actually had an energy gain. In other words, the amount of energy they put into the system was less than the amount of energy that came out after those two hydrogen atoms fused together. It's a, it's a proof of principle. We're not going to be powering the uh, you know, entire cities with this yet, but people in the field are calling it a big accomplishment <clears throat> in that it shows it is possible to have a net energy gain with uh, nuclear fusion. All right. So um, fission creates um, or produces what as a byproduct? Because this, I think, is another part of this conversation. Fusion doesn't produce the same kinds of byproducts. Right. So fission is going to produce um, neutrons and neutrons are and it produces neutrons and it produces essentially a toxic byproduct. And that toxic waste can build up when nuclear fusion. It is uh, possible that you do not have toxic waste. And so this is the big thing that they want to do. And not only that, but there are ways to do nuclear fusion where you don't have neutrons as a byproduct, which is really helpful for many other reasons. All right. So um, when we think about, you know, when we we think about forecasting forward, I mean, we recognize that, you know, it's not like tomorrow that this is going to be available. Um, but let's just say that everybody and when I say everybody, you know, I'm I'm talking about the big movers in in the energy sector. Um, if everybody moves intentionally in this direction, what kind of timeline? What's the most aggressive timeline you think we're talking about in terms of like the commercial availability of energy derived through nuclear fusion? And correct me if I'm asking the question in an inappropriate way. No. So a lot of people have, a lot of people try to speculate. So, okay, we've made this modest gain. What does that mean for application? And, and in science, I think that's always a, a good idea to ask. So what, so what, what is, you know, this is a billion dollar project and it's decades away at best Okay. because, it, you know, this was a small scale. And even though technically in the experiment, you had a net energy gain, the problem is this experiment, they used the lasers to create the plasma that then uh, heated up the, the pellet containing the hydrogens that fuse the hydrogens together. Those lasers, as amazing as they are, they're still too inefficient. It actually required a whole lot of energy to power those lasers. So even though the amount of energy going into the system was less than going out, if you include all that energy required to power those lasers, it isn't quite so, uh, it isn't quite so energy efficient. And that has to do with um, coming up with better lasers. And so you still are dealing with an efficiency issue. You're still dealing with having to put a big power input. And so that means that more research needs to be done decades away at best. All right. We're going to continue our conversation with Heather Zeiger here in just a moment. We're going to ask her about the return of Orion and the Artemis mission of NASA, and then whether or not there's a connection between these two stories our return to the moon and the fusion, nuclear fusion story. Apparently it has something to do with helium. 
helium-3. All of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Heather Zeiger is a freelance science writer out of Dallas and so graciously puts up with um, what I'm sure seem like utterly pedantic questions to her. Um, Heather, again, thank you so much for being here. All right. Orion flew beyond the moon and then returned safely to Earth. It was like a really fast landing. That was kind of exciting. Talk with us about the Artemis project and this, um, this successful flight. Yeah, so this this is uh, pretty exciting because everything about the Artemis mission, so if we recall, this was testing the Space Launch System rocket. This is a new kind of rocket, and it was equipped with the Orion spacecraft, and the idea is that hopefully this rocket will allow um, traveling further than the moon. But in the meantime, we're going to look towards having a manned mission to the moon. Uh, coming up in a few years here. So this was to test this rocket system, make sure that um, you can, and then to make sure that humans can survive uh, the capsule's re-entry into the Earth. Everything went wonderfully. Like textbook, everything went as planned. So the Artemis mission was able to go farther than um, any spacecraft that's equipped for uh, crew. Now, keep in mind, they just had mannequins with sensors so they could study the G-forces and everything. This was not a crewed mission. Um, It went farther. It took some great pictures. If you go online and you look for some of the pictures, there's actually a really neat picture from the dark side of the moon uh, called, it it was an Earthrise. So you can see just the Earth kind of peeking out from the shadow. It's a really neat uh, picture that they were able to get. And then the big test was could the capsule survive re-entry because of the speed at which it was re-entering Earth, Earth's atmosphere? It was going so fast that the outside of the capsule heated up to, I don't remember the exact temperature. It was something like 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It was a really high temperature. And so the idea was that we needed to make sure that within the capsule, everyone stayed safe as well as the capsule itself survived. And it did, and it landed exactly where it was supposed to, off the coast of Baja, California. They did some additional measurements. Everything seemed to go great. So now they're anticipating Artemis II and then Artemis Mm -hmm. III. It won't be until Artemis III that the first crewed moon landing mission um, takes place. So this is um, this is going to be a project that's going to unfold over time, and I'm sure we will have opportunity in the future um, to talk about it. It sounds like they're going to use some parts and pieces from Artemis One um, in the Artemis Two project, and so we're probably looking at mid to late 2024, maybe even into 2025 before the next Artemis mission, but they've got a lot um, to, to work with from Artemis One, um, you know, to, to keep them stimulated and going in the meantime. I'm wondering, um, Heather, when you think back 
like is there a is there like a childlike anticipation that rises up within you when we talk about these you know these stories i mean these are real breakthroughs both the fusion story um you know and the artemis story like there's big stuff happening and it's just out there on the edge of uh, human ingenuity and creativity i just love it yeah yeah it's it's exciting well because and you know uh, you know, as a kid, you read like science fiction stories and stuff, and then it's kind of like, oh wow, it's, it's almost coming to life. So uh, it's it's exciting. Yeah. Um, all right. Any connection that we should be drawing between the fusion story and the return to the moon story? Yes. So one of the reasons why uh, so many countries, uh, the United States, but also other countries, are interested in going to the moon is because they're interested in mining helium three. So helium-3 is an isotope of helium. Sorry to throw a vocab word at you this early in the morning. But usually helium weighs four atomic mass units. This is a special kind of helium, helium-3. We don't find it on Earth, but you find it on the moon because the moon does not have a magnetic field that repels the solar flares from the sun, and it doesn't have an atmosphere. So solar flares end up uh, depositing helium-3 on the moon's surface. Why do we care about helium-3? Well, it turns out helium-3 can be used in nuclear fusion. So earlier I said you could fuse two hydrogen atoms. Well, you could also fuse helium-3 and a certain isotope of hydrogen, and you actually get uh, a fusion reaction that doesn't make any neutrons. So it's a, it's a very enticing fusion reaction. So would it have to take place on the moon, or can we bring helium-3 to Earth? It just doesn't get here on its own. Yeah, so is that I a think stupid can... question. That <laughs> no, a, a no, that's uh, that's uh, that's more like an engineering question where you're asking the very practical. <laughs> so, how do I get it here? Uh, yeah, so I think you can you could bring do you it. Put to... it in a balloon. Like yeah. what? How am I getting my helium three? And is it going to make my voice sound like the chipmunks? Because I think that most people, right. that's what they're asking right now. Right. Yeah. So it probably would make your voice sound like the chipmunks. Um, it would be very expensive to use it for that mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. purpose. So use helium-4 instead. Um, but the people that probably- go to the moon, well, can they do that, do you think? Because I got to think that you got to go to the moon. You got to find some fun stuff to do because there's not a lot there. There's no trees. There's no beach. Right. Like. I mean, there might be water. They're kind of hoping at the South Pole. That's apparently why they're targeting that part of the moon. But, like, sure. right, it's pretty desolate. So helium-3 might be, you know, like the good time vibe on the moon. So let's remember there's no atmosphere on the moon. So they would have to, like, pump that helium-3 through their <laughs> spacesuit. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. I guess, I mean. I know. Some kid out there is thinking about it right now. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. All right, there's there's been a volcanic eruption in Hawaii. Um, can we touch on that as our last topic today? What, what's going on there that we need yeah. to know about? Yeah, so this is neat. Uh, you know, it's neat because this was not a violent volcanic re- era, uh, reaction, eruption. And um, so no one got hurt. No, it was one of those things that actually attracted a lot of tourist attraction to, uh, to Hawaii's uh, largest volcano, the Mauna Loa volcano. So it hasn't erupted for 38 years since 1984. And so starting on November 27th, um, you started seeing lava coming out and it, it is a very thick lava. So it flows very slowly. So people didn't get hurt. You were able to move out of the way. It didn't seem to affect any cities. 
it erupted for, uh, I think it stopped erupting around December 11th. So it erupted for a couple weeks there and then stopped. A lot of people came to check out the volcano because uh, for Hawaiians and for people that are tied to to the islands, uh, volcanic eruptions have both a cultural and a spiritual significance. So this was this was kind of one of these uh, neat big deals. It's neat because it didn't cause a violent reaction. Sorry, yeah. violent uh, eruption. I'm thinking about yeah. nuclear reactions. The, con- the consequences. The consequences of the eruption were. Um, yeah, they could be observed in a way that was safe and um, and nobody got hurt. I like that as the as the walk off Hawaii volcano erupts. Nobody gets hurt. That that should yeah. be the headline. Um, Heather, as always, thank you so much. Merry Christmas. We'll see you in the new year. Merry Christmas to you, too. That's Heather Zeiger. You can find her at heatherzeiger.com. All things science and so patient with me, which I totally appreciate. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Let's take a break for Breakpoint. All right, we've been talking all morning, bit by bit, um, about Zachariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist. And so let me briefly tell you what would have happened when Zachariah um, entered into his responsibilities as a priest from um, the Order of Abijah. What what would have happened when he entered that holy place? He would have been, um, first of all, um, we understand that he would have had he would have chosen a couple of guys to assist him. So a couple of other priests, they would have removed the ashes from the previous evening's sacrifice, uh, and then um, they would have uh, entered worshipfully and placed a new burning coal on the altar. And that's when Zachariah would enter, um, and he would go in alone, and he would be bearing the golden censer, and at the uh, at the given signal that he would spread the incense over the the burning coals. And as that incense kindled and a cloud of fragrance arose from the altar, the prayer of the worshipers outside, because they would see the smoke, the prayer of the worshipers outside would rise into the presence of God. So that's what's going on when Zechariah enters into um, you know, this described environment in Luke chapter one. Um, and, and that's ordinarily what would have happened. And then he would have left. But that's when the angel of the Lord appears and stands to the right of the altar of incense. That's what Luke tells us. Now, as you can might imagine, it was a, a terrifying experience. You're supposed to be in there by yourself, and all of a sudden you're not. Um, and the angel spoke, what angels seem to always lead with, because they are terrifying figures. They always lead with this, do not be afraid. And so the angel says, do not be afraid, Zachariah. For your petition has been heard. Again, evidence that Zechariah has been praying about the childlessness of he and Elizabeth. Your petition has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. Um, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Uh, friends, God can, do an impossible, God can do impossible things. God's in the business of doing impossible things. Um, and that's what God promised to do for Zechariah and Elizabeth. And their child was not just any ordinary child. He would be the forerunner of the Messiah. Um, we hear the, uh, the foretelling of John and what his life will be like by the prophet Malachi. We've already talked about this morning um, the prophecies of Isaiah and how it is 
recorded in um, Mark's gospel at, at the opening, in addition to the stories about him in the other gospels as well. Um, Zachariah literally emerges from this experience as a different man. I mean, he'd been a godly man all along, but this encounter with the angel Gabriel left him with um, not only a muteness, and I mean, he was mute. You got to read the full story in John 1. Um, but this awareness of God's greatness and and God's goodness and God's faithfulness. And so I want you to just consider those things um, today. If there's something in your life that seems impossible, like, right? Are you believing God today for impossible things that are promised in his word? Because if God has promised it, then God's going to deliver it. Yes, in his good time and in his particular way, but if God has promised it, you can trust him that he's going to do it, even that which seems impossible. We're going to talk with Lynn Wilson next. Um, He is many things. He is uh, a pastor. He's an author. He's a publisher. um, And he has been hanging out with our friend Lynn Sweet and brings us today a book they have co-authored together, Telos, The Hope of Heaven Today. Yeah. What is Telos? Well, we're going to ask Lynn to tell us. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. A mysterious star in the sky. It's bright like one and shines like one. A baby lying in a manger. There he is. After all this time. And a fulfilled promise. You will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. In Fulfillment is a biblical audio drama. Over 40 voice actors and the fulfilled moments of Jesus' life. Search In Fulfillment wherever you listen to podcasts or just go to myfaithradio.com. Lynn Wilson is joining us now. You can find him at lynnwilson.us. Um, Lynn, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, nice to be with you today. I chose not to read your entire bio because it would have taken all of our time, and I have like a thousand different uh, questions to ask you. And so can we just jump right in? <laughs> Absolutely. Plano, Texas. So I'm noting that um, there were 12 tornadoes through your part of Texas yesterday, and so I just want to start with an is everybody okay question. Everybody's great. Thanks for asking. There was a, a touchdown or two, five people were injured. I heard on the news, but, uh, you know, we live in a metropolitan area of 10 million people. So, uh, it's, yeah, the odds are usually in your favor. <laughs> right. Right. But it's not, it's like that one day that the odds are not in your favor that the show host doesn't ask. And, you know, and then we seem horrible and insensitive because we read later that, Oh, Lynn, you know, Lynn's church, I took a direct hit or something. And I'm like, Oh, I didn't even know to ask that. So, um, so oh, thank and you. You know, there are, yeah, and there are people that we work with in our press. Uh, we've got a pastor in Cape Coral, Florida, whose church was uh, the, the eye of Hurricane E went directly over the mm. church. So so absolutely, that can happen. Mm. Yeah. Um, let's talk um, briefly about St. Andrew Church and maybe um, all things Methodist. We've been praying for you. We've been praying for the witness of Christ in the world. Um, for folks who don't know, um, maybe as briefly as possible, you know, what's happening um, among Methodists, and where is your church in um, in that particular process? Sure. Well, the United Methodist Church has been struggling for some time. You know, Carmen, it's the Methodist movement is 200 plus years old, but the United Methodist Church as a denomination is 54 years old, and it's actually been in decline since the moment it began in 1968. It's about half the size it was originally statistically 
And there's a lot of reasons for that, but it's just kind of a, uh, a disaster at this point. Honestly, there's just so many problems within the denomination. So uh, long story short, there are just many congregations around the country who have decided that their their mission to the world is better served on their own or through other affiliations. And so they have been going through a process of disaffiliation with the UMC. Right. And so St. Andrew is a part of that. If you guys want to read more about that, there's a lot out there. I'm going to put a couple of links in my show notes today. I know that we've got a lot of folks um, who, you know, former main line of different varieties, Presbyterians or ELCA Lutherans, and now you are in different varieties or different expressions of those, um, um, I know, faith groups, denominations. And so you're going to have a real heart for understanding the process that Methodists are going through across the country and around the world. So just invite you to be praying um, not only for um, pastors and their congregations, but the people in local congregations making very hard decisions today. Um, all right. Again, we're talking with Len Wilson. He is a, a United Methodist pastor, or I guess he's a Methodist pastor. Um, and um, and he's also a, a publisher and a writer. You can find really cool stuff at inviteresources.com and at lynnwilson.us. You're, you're a fascinating person. You and I could talk about a million different things today, but you're ultimately here to talk about a brand new book you've co-authored with our friend Lynn Sweet. Um, tell us about Telos. Well, Telos means the end. It's the Greek word for the end. So wherever you see the phrase, the end, in the New Testament, that's probably the word Telos. And it's really an underreported word. It's not uh, widely understood uh, right now in the contemporary church. And, uh, and basically, the, the, the book says that uh, the end is not an apocalyptic special effects explosion like you'd see out of Hollywood, according to Jesus, but it's something else entirely. It's a word that Jesus uses over and over to describe the fulfillment of this great grand cosmic story of all time that the Bible tells. The great grand cosmic story um, is coming to an end, and we actually know the end from the beginning. That's a pretty unique reality to live in. Um, It gives me great hope. It gives me great confidence. And one of the things that you're talking about is I can live, in fact, I am living, whether I realize it or not, in that reality today. Can you unpack that a little bit? Absolutely, Carmen. You know, I saw a friend uh, on Twitter the other day who posted a question out to the Twitter sphere. He, uh, He was asked about this idea of brokenness, you know, which is this word we use now in the church for sin. And he wrote, if you're not a Christian, what do you think is the root issue of why the world is broken? Mm-hmm. And what it was fascinating to me was that in the comments, people were disagreeing with this premise. Uh, several non-Christians were writing saying that, that the world's not broken. It was never right to begin with, but we're evolving. And, and people are, they, they have this kind of story frame that they're operating out of that we've kind of come out of the swamp and we're, the best we can do is to incrementally improve and you know, that kind of thing. And that's, that's not a biblical story. That's a, that's a story that comes out of utopian philosophy, uh, which is proven to be false, but it shows that people have a story, whether they realize it or not. And often that story is a false one. So you spend a lot of time in, in Telos actually unpacking um, many of what we would call heresies, um, debunking um, some of those. Uh, Let's talk about that. Like why spend so much time exploring people's perspective of what the end is not. 
You know, you, you've got to start with the end in mind, Carmen. Uh, so take, for example, the Declaration of Independence. When the writers created the Declaration of Independence, it's remarkable in part because of, of a different story it was telling. You know, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. We, we lose context of these words today, but mm. when a people group was subject to the whims of an absolute monarch authority, life was not something they took for granted. And they were under existential threat and the writers dared to tell one another and their peers and the world they lived in there in the colonies a different story and and your story becomes your guide the story you tell one another becomes your guide you, you determine your actions in life based on the story you tell one another and so lynn and i looked at the culture today and said wow we got a lot of bad stories being told today and so we identified six of those because we feel like that People might resonate. They might see some of their own experience, the experience of their families, their communities, and some of these stories, and hopefully begin to realize, oh, wow, maybe I need to rethink what the biblical story is telling me um, that might be different from what the culture is telling me. All right. If we've now captured your um, attention and you are curious to know, hey, what are those six bad stories that the world is telling me today? And why, why do I believe those instead of the great good story that spans all of human history um, from beginning to end and where the end is known from the beginning. Yes, we do have copies of Telos to give away today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll be back with more with Lynn Wilson next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to, you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. Hark how the bells, sweet silver bells, all seem to say, throw cares away, Christmas is here. We're talking with Lynn Wilson. If you want um, help exploring not only who you are as a creative, but how to actually strategically move forward as a creative in the world, lynnwilson.us is the place to go. If you want to check out resources related to this, inviteresources.com. Lynn has co-authored a book with our friend Lynn Sweet. The book is Telos, The Hope of Heaven Today. Um, Lynn, when we think about the narrative arc of every story, your book follows the narrative arc, like part of introducing all of these six bad stories is to get us to be at this level of rising tension where we're actually interested in knowing that there there's got to be something better like what's the climax of this so talk talk with us about mm-hmm. uh, about all of that because story is like under and through everything you're doing in this book 
Oh, I'm so glad you said that, Carmen. Thank you. That's a compliment to me as a writer. That's great. Yeah, we actually we 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 named these six stories up front. First, we we named the fact that there actually is a story because some of our audience is is academic and and the academic world has tried to negate the idea of story for the last couple of generations. Which, side note, but I think that's part of the philosophical problems we have today is re refusal of story. So so first we name story and then we we named six specific stories. And so like the first one, for example, is apocalypticism. You know, this idea that uh, the world's just, you know, carnage and, and, and uh, all these terrible things about the destruction of the world. And so we, we put a twist on that to say, no, the kingdom of God is not birthed because of destruction. And so then we go through and we say that for every one of these six, uh, what we call isms, you know, so you have after apocalypticism, you have utopianism and traditionalism millennialism, all these isms, uh, ahistoricism and messianism. Each one of these things we say the kingdom of God does not come through these isms. Uh, and so by the middle of the story, the middle of the book, then you're kind of to this point, as you said, rising tension. So as a reader, you're like, well, what, what the heck is it? You know, if we're not one of these six different isms. And the answer to that question is a person. Well, the answer... It's a person. That's right. Truth is a person, not a proposition. So we all we assert each one of these isms is a search for truth and truth from all these different perspectives, philosophical angles. And we say, no, truth is a person. And when we reduce Christianity to an ism or a set of beliefs, we're kind of missing the point because it begins and ends with the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And when you say that, like my mind and heart immediately go into um, the room where you know, Jesus is standing um, before Pilate, and they're having this conversation that Pilate obviously doesn't know what they're really talking about, and he asks the wrong question, like, right? He asks, what yes. is truth instead of who is truth? And yeah, that's, truth is a person, right. and if we if we take nothing else away um, from this conversation today, I hope you take that away, that truth is a person. Um, Lynn, talk with us about um, Jesus as the author and the authority in, in the conversation that we're having about the end. Each one of these six isms, the, the, the root problem of these, Carmen, is that we are putting authority in something apart from Jesus or aside from Jesus. And, and I think a lot of people don't realize that they're doing that. Uh, for example, the utopianism that I mentioned briefly a minute ago is putting its faith in technology and science and this idea of incremental improvement through human ingenuity. Uh, but that has proven to be false already in our culture, and technology is not going to save us. And so we have these kind of bad ideas of authority. And after walking through the six isms and naming that truth as a person, then we, we pivot in the book to the end of Matthew's gospel, when right before the ascension, uh, it says that all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. And that's a that's just a whammy of a scripture, because when you really think what that is and think that through, you realize that you don't have to rely on any one of these other authorities, because if you're if you believe in Jesus, you walk with Jesus and you're in the presence of Christ, then then all authority has been given to him and all as well. Yeah, and every other authority is subordinate um, to him and and his plans and who he is and how it's all going to work itself out. Um, a couple of years ago, a few years ago now, you wrote a book called Think Like a Five-Year-Old, um, followed up by a book called Greater Things. Um, and I guess I'm wondering, um, when you think of yourself as a creative who, you know, God has blessed to bring things forward, 
into the world to glorify him and to edify people. Like what what gets you excited every single day as a creative working in um, the church space? Mm. Oh, that's that's wonderful. I didn't know we were going to go this direction, Carmen. So thank you for asking. You know, the creativity is something that's close to my heart as a creative. I have um, been asking questions my entire life about the intersections of creativity and ministry, more specifically now as I get older with the idea of mission and joining God's mission and how God calls us and invites us and challenges us to use our creative skills to join him in the mission to save the world. Um, and that's that's really something each one of us has in us. And think like a five-year-old, I talk about how each one of us has a, a creative genius. Um, scripture tells us that. Science supports that idea. But we often lose sight of what our creative genius is, the, the thing that God has given us, uh, the set of good things, according to Ephesians 2.10, uh, to use with our lives. And so th- that book encourages the reader to rediscover what that set of good things is and then to begin to invite and ask the Holy Spirit to to move to show us how to use those in our lives. And then, um, and then, greater things. Um, you know, you're talking in that book about the work of the new creation. I also feel like it's a bit of a um, stepping into point for for the book we're talking about today, which is Telos. Um, so, can mm, you absolutely? Can, yeah. So talk about greater things, because we all wonder, we all wonder about that. What, what does it mean that we're going to do greater things? Like, that seems crazy. Right? And exactly. And that's when I first read that verse, it, it just kind of stuck on me. I thought, how is that possible? Jesus tells that uh, to his disciples in this kind of last great training session he's doing in John's Gospel. It's in John 14. And he says, you will do even greater things than me, uh, because I'm going to be with the Father. And I, I read that originally, and I thought, oh, that's not, how is that possible? <laughs> you know, that's crazy. But then as I began to think about it and look it through, that it's interesting that you look at the story of John the Baptist, uh, you know, the prophets, you were talking about Zechariah there earlier, and, you know, the prophets were considered uh, the, the greatest of the Israelites, uh, the priests that were closest uh, to God's presence. And in the scriptures, it says John the Baptist was the greatest prophet. So in a way, you could say, John the Baptist was the greatest human who ever lived. And Jesus basically says this, points to it, and he says, but you will do greater things uh, because John the Baptist is least of these in the kingdom of heaven. So the idea of greater is not a, a, a word of comparison or a, a word of saying, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing lesser or greater things. It's actually a word of being. It's, it's kind of an ontological statement. It's a word that says, this is who I am when I am part of the kingdom of God. The things I do are automatically greater. They're greater than the things of the world. Yeah, greatness and what it means to do greater things, um, it, it's it's just not about comparison. Good, greater, great, greatest. And so I think that, um, that that's the fundamental shift in thinking that has to take place inside of us um, as we think about who God is as the one who is transcendently good and the one who is also great um, and all that that means manifest in our lives by the present power of the Holy Spirit who comes upon us and inhabits us as believers in Jesus. It's it's all connected um and it's all yes, you know of yes. a piece. And so I wanted to I wanted to lift up the connectedness of all of those things. Lynn, what a delight and, to um, make your acquaintance yeah. today and um I hope begin a conversation. I hope this isn't the end of our opportunity to talk with you because I find you um a, a wonderful delight and surprise. Well, well, thank you, Carmen. It's a pleasure to be with you today, and thank you for your interest and support of Telos. 
Absolutely. All right, you guys can um, you can enter uh, the drawing for the copies of Telos, The Hope of Heaven today that we have to give away today. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. You can connect directly with Lynn Wilson at his website, lynnwilson.us. I'm also going to commend to you inviteresources.com. All of those links will be in the show notes today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right, we're about out of time today, but thank you so much for sharing this time together. Um, I really appreciate it and value it each and every day. Let's be praying for each other. If you haven't already, please be nominating someone for the Give Hope for Christmas project. You can find all the information at MyFaithRadio.com. And again, um, many of you asking, hey, what was that article or where's that story? It's all in the show notes, all the links that we talk about and all the people we talk with. Their information is linked in the show notes. So you just need to um, subscribe to the podcast wherever you do that. Um, Subscribe to Mornings with Carmen and it'll be in the description. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.